Hello, I'm Merrick Schneider. Welcome to this podcast of articles from the Wall Street Journal, a presentation of Airs LA. You are listening to this recording, which is provided for the use of those who are blind or print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyrighted property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Today's first article is titled, A Battle Over Refrigerating Butter by Christina Peterson. Then Faye Vincent has an article, Why We Swear to Tell the Truth. Then Meme Yukabiruka has an article, Victory in the Last Mile. Jacob Passe wrote an article, Expedia Rolls Out Chat GPT Feature as a Travel Planner. And we'll follow that up with an article by Andy Kessler, 1% Inspiration and 99% Preparation. All these articles are from recent editions of the Wall Street Journal. So let's begin with today's first article, A Battle Over Refrigerating Butter. Butter evangelist Jolie Mertzel is spreading the word. The 49-year-old small business owner, author, and mother of three is on a mission to convince American households and federal officials that it is safe and preferable to keep butter at room temperature instead of refrigerated, particularly for those with a taste for it on toast. Her crusade would liberate butter sticks from a lifetime in the cold, moving from refrigerated trucks to the chilled dairy case of grocery stores to built-in refrigerator cubbies. Enough is enough, said Miss Mertzel, who lives in the Northridge neighborhood of Los Angeles. I want to eliminate confusion about putting butter on the counter. Ms. Mertzel said she came to her epiphany one morning about 14 years ago. She had forgotten to put away the butter the night before and at breakfast discovered how easy it was to spread. My life changed in so many ways at that moment, she said. She has since written a children's book, Change Your Life for the Butter, and developed a line of countertop holders with flip-top lids that keep clear of the softened butter inside. Traditional butter dishes, she said, are a train wreck. The lids get all gross. Food safety scientists say butter usually doesn't require constant cold. Butter made from pasteurized cream is safe to store at room temperature for a stretch because of its high fat content and low moisture, among other reasons. Salted butter tends to stay fresh longer. Yet getting a definitive answer from the government's butter bureaucracy has been a slippery endeavor. Ms. Mertzel this year petitioned the Food and Drug Administration to issue official guidance that butter could be kept safely out of the refrigerator at room temperature for three weeks. The FDA, which oversees butter safety, has largely stood pat. The agency's guidance for restaurants and the food industry advises keeping butter out of the fridge for no more than four to six hours. Yet a 2001 FDA study noted on page 38 that traditional butter and margarine have had a long history of safety without time-slash-temperature control. The Agricultural Department, 
which sets butter grading standards, such as A or AA, recommends leaving butter out for at most a day or two. While butter will likely keep longer, a USDA spokeswoman said, the agency's recommendations seek to ensure butter remains at optimal quality. In 2015, Ms. Mertzel sent samples of four brands of butter to a lab for testing. The finding, no sign of spoilage after three weeks of storage at 68 to 77 degrees Fahrenheit. She commissioned a similar analysis this year and found no spoilage after 30 days. This is a quality issue, not a safety issue, said Gina Mode, a butter researcher at the University of Wisconsin Center for Dairy Research. Butter will eventually go rancid, but that won't make people sick, she said. Ms. Mode, in an informal survey of her colleagues, found that 24 of 31 keep butter out, a telling data point among experts. Claire Dinhut, who goes by Condiment Claire on TikTok, prefers to eat salted butter cold for its thicker texture. She talked about the Dutch word transmore, which translates to a layer of butter so thick that a bite leaves teeth marks. I love the feeling of biting into butter and not just having it melt into the toast, Miss Dinhut said. Ice butter makes Steve Tuttle heated. I just get too worked up when it's super impossible to spread and you try to put it on your toast or pancake, said Mr. Tuttle, a corporate private investigator in Washington. His girlfriend, Pamela Hess, eventually warmed to the idea. He feels very strongly that it should be on the counter at room temperature, said Ms. Hess, the executive director of a nonprofit that teaches veterans how to farm. Christopher Kimball, who oversees Christopher Kimball's Milk Street Cooking Empire, champions room temp butter. There's nothing worse than taking cold butter and trying to put it on a pancake or a waffle or a toast, Mr. Kimball said. Sarah Moulton, who fields culinary questions from listeners on Milk Street's podcast with Mr. Kimball, sides largely with the cold camp. If left unfrigerated for too long, she said, butter isn't going to kill you. It's just not going to taste good. And why would you want to do that to yourself? And now Faye Vincent's Why We Swear to Tell the Truth. I received a call many years ago from a local politician who wanted my legal advice on what he termed an awful dilemma. His best friend was involved in a messy divorce and wanted him to testify in court that the friend had not engaged in marital infidelities. The politician asked if there was any way he could avoid telling the truth under oath. I quickly thought of the ancient English maxim. The only time a gentleman is justified in lying is when it's defending another gentleman's honor under oath. But I withheld that bit of whimsy. My advice was simple. There is no legal basis to lie under oath. I suspect my suggestion carried because I never heard from the caller again. That reality seems more complicated today as the news becomes replete with stories of Donald Trump defending himself 
against various claims with denials under oath. It is more urgent than ever to recall the moral and legal reasons for placing witnesses under oath. The traditional oath is administered by the question from the administering officer, Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? The oath taker replies, I do, and legal duties attach to what follows. The language of the oath may vary as judges assert their preferences, but the essence is that the witness will attest openly to the duty of being truthful. The oath warns that the testimony is a serious matter and that failing to be truthful has consequences. The invocation of God reflects the traditional view that lying has consequences beyond legal bounds. The old-fashioned belief is that lying is morally wrong. The oath involves the pain of legal penalties. It also reflects the moral code of the Decalogue. My generation believed and accepted a person's word was a bond. Early on, I learned one's reputation became important quickly. I never doubted the essential wisdom that permitted me to be trusting of others while not betraying their trust in return. President Reagan cautioned, trust but verify, and I know there are sound reasons to couple both instincts. I once accepted an oral offer to buy my Connecticut home and minutes later received a higher bid. I turned down the higher offer, though I was legally free to accept it since nothing had been agreed to in writing. Years later, my buyer told someone we both knew he was surprised I hadn't taken the higher bid. But I never considered walking away from the deal. He remembers, I do also. Things are different today. Trust is in short supply. I am told marketplaces have grown wary of the handshakes and verbal assurances we old-timers relied on. A written agreement is fine, but nothing can replace the comfort of negotiating with someone whose word you trust. And there is no better satisfaction than the pride one feels after achieving a result without regretting the means employed in the process. And now, victory in the last mile. He was almost there, which meant there was no stopping. My brother saw the mile marks as he ran, and he could feel how close he was, since the last two and a half miles of the course were a retread of the start. He spent his last ten waking minutes along the Providence River, pushing ahead through pain and heat that must have set in miles back. Beho Ubukurama, 27, died a few hours later, making his first half marathon his last act in life. Heat stroke and muscular breakdown combined to kill his kidneys, and he collapsed short of the race last mile. My family and I said goodbye at Rhode Island Hospital. One of the reasons Bego pushed so hard was for the sake of future races he wanted to run. I know this because he told me, three weeks ago he texted me asking, want to run this with me, BTW, and included a link to the Brooklyn Half Marathon coming up in November. OR this, he added, with a link to another one in October. But as a Brooklyn resident, he decided he should log more miles before racing at home. 
kind of want to wait until I'm faster to return to New York City. He never got to do that, but he would have if not for hot weather in Providence and an unforeseen weakness in the leg muscles and renal system that failed him. He trained for months for his first race with no complaint of pain, and he hiked and biked regularly, especially in the mountains of Southern California where he lived for three years. We know that life isn't entirely predictable because people sometimes do unexpected things. But in most cases, virtues are steady. Hard workers tend to keep working hard. Caring people don't stop caring. And people like my brother, with strength and perseverance, keep applying those gifts. That's why I believe Beko would have finished many more races if not for the odd affliction that cut short his first. The same goes for the other courses Bago ran. He began his career late, but he got a sprinting start in 2019 as an agent at Creative Artists Agency, one of Hollywood's top shops for managing talent. Despite landing that dream job, he took a leap last year to become the third employee at a new production company called Fat City to get closer to the creative side of filming. He had a talent for it, and I don't doubt he would have told more great stories in his life if he'd been given the time. His greatest course was the Race of Faith. Bego was received into the Catholic Church in 2017. His approach to Christian life was based in relationships, and he often spoke about wanting to raise a faithful family someday. He never got to do that either. But among the hundreds who gathered at New York's St. Michael's Church for his funeral, no one doubts the feats of faith he would have achieved with a little more time. From the pulpit at the funeral, our sister Toju read St. Paul's words over Bego's body. Run your best in the race of faith and win eternal life for yourself. For it was to this life that God called you when you firmly professed your faith before many witnesses. There are a few lessons in those words, but one of them stands out. That is, if you've witnessed the faith of the runner, then his victory is already assured in this life or the next. And now Jacob Passe, Expedia rolls out chat GPT feature as a travel planner. Expedia is rolling out a new chat GPT feature, further solidifying the world of travel as one of the first industries to embrace a new wave of artificial intelligence tools. The feature within Expedia's app will allow users to plan trips by conversing with a chatbot powered by OpenAI's ChatGPT technology. Through the feature, which is in its beta testing phase, travelers can ask for recommendations in categories such as destinations, flights, or hotels. Travelers will be able to book directly off some of the recommendations. Expedia is rolling out the ChatGPT feature to all iOS users. The feature will only be available in English. The company plans to roll the function out to Android users in the future, but doesn't have a set time yet, a spokeswoman said. 
The development comes after Expedia and rival Kayak recently announced plugins within OpenAI's own ChatGPT app. Those plugins provide travel-related recommendations to people using the ChatGPT app and can redirect users to the company's respective websites to complete booking. ChatGPT is a search tool. It's a new way of thinking, a new way of searching, a new way of experiencing. Expedia Group Incorporated Chief Executive Peter Kern said in an interview, and we want to meet customers where they are. Expedia has previously implemented other pieces of AI technology across its platform. The online travel agency operates a customer service chatbot to help travelers with any issues they encounter after booking. Additionally, Expedia's price tracking feature for flights is powered by AI and machine learning technology. While OpenAI's ChatGPT and Microsoft's Bing can provide advice to users regarding vacation planning, their results can be inconsistent. In test queries conducted by the Wall Street Journal, the platforms sometimes offered incorrect information. They also didn't provide an end-to-end experience. It wasn't possible to book on the chat platform. Mr. Kern said on their own natural language search models, such as ChatGPT, will only get a traveler so far. If customers want to know exact details, such as flight prices or the types of rooms available at a hotel, they still need a service like Expedia, he said. Expedia says its in-app ChatGPT tool will save any hotel recommendations it makes in the conversation automatically within the app. From there, users will have the option to book one of the recommendations. Eventually, the company plans to expand this feature to other reservations, including flights, rental cars, and activities, said Rathi Murphy, Expedia's chief technology officer. Expedia's chat GPT feature allows for open-ended conversations, unlike other AI platforms such as Bing, which limit the number of replies. Expedia says it has implemented some guardrails to prevent inappropriate discussions. The model underpinning the chat feature is designed to redirect the conversation back to travel-related topics if a user asks non-related, non-travel questions. Mr. Kern said that users' private data won't be shared with OpenAI when they converse in the Expedia app, though this data might be used internally by Expedia over time to personalize the customer experience further. And Andy Kessler's 1% inspiration, 99% preparation. Dear grads, finish that Ruth Bader Ginsburg jug at your final Borg party. Wind down your Wednesday Adams and M3 Gan dances. Quit hating on Nepo babies. And stop saying super great like Noho Hank on HBO's Barry, even ironically. This merits your attention. The expression genius is 1% inspiration and 99%
perspiration is often attributed to Thomas Edison. But apparently around 1890, a writer and academic named Kate Sandboard gave a lecture saying genius was a combination of inspiration and perspiration and talent is perspiration. Even without Twitter, ideas floated around and permeated society. When Edison was asked what genius was, he answered, 2% is genius and 98% is hard work. When asked if genius was inspired, he blurted out, bah, genius isn't inspired, inspiration is perspiration. Two lessons here. Number one, if you have great ideas, others will repeat them without attribution. Number two, there was a lot of sweating going on in the 19th century. Modern antiperspirant deodorant wasn't available until 1941. Let me update the saying for the 21st century. Success is 1% inspiration and 99% preparation. Ideas are shooting around faster than ever, but most are worthless because no one does the hard work to implement them. Implementation requires hours and hours, not a sweat. We're in a service economy now, but of preparation. You must do it all, reading, researching, falling into one rabbit hole after another on the internet to find the right series of precedents and test cases and quotes to make your point, pitching your idea coherently and succinctly so it doesn't sound pie in the sky, but practical. Preparation is everything. Forget football's old-timey three, three yards and a cloud of dust. After a 2021 touchdown, Los Angeles Rams receiver Cooper Cuff shared his read of the defense. They had a little three-deep fire zone, brought the nickel off the edge, safety dropped down. They didn't look like they were doing a replacement fire zone. That level of understanding required preparation, memorization, and practice. And newsflash. Stephen Curry draining half-court shots isn't luck. Watch the amazing 2021 video of the Perseverance rover landing on the surface of Mars. The onboard camera shows the terrain. After the landing, I'm pretty sure one of the scientists exclaims, Hey, that's my rock. In mission preparation, the entire landing area was digitalized. The planners knew the placement of every rock and dip in terrain. We've come a long way from Neil Armstrong with a joystick. No room for error. Prepare, simulate, fix, and prepare again. Churchill famously memorized his speeches and practiced giving them over and over in his bathtub and pacing in his room while chomping on a cigar. Some of this was to overcome his stutter, but it was mainly to get the intonation and alliteration just right. Nothing was off the cuff. His speeches didn't sound like they were read from a piece of paper. They felt stream of consciousness. In his finest hours, he showed the value of preparation. Sadly, there is an all-out war on merit and a push for a quality of results no matter how much work you put in. You've lived it. De-emphasize grades and aptitude tests, 
holistic admissions, identity hiring. That is anti-progress. Whenever I hear the overused expression woke, I think W-O-K-E, war on knowledge excellence. The opposite of merit, merit is mediocrity, the default of the lazy. Don't fall for it. Instead, stand out and prove your merit by working, by preparing. Yes, preparation is merit. Though devalued in the pretend world of admissions and politics, in the dog-eat-dog world of real life and careers and advancement and progress, preparation and merit are the currency of the realm. Use all of the tools at your disposal, books, search, mobile screens, and now artificial intelligence and large language models. But aren't those distracting? Sure. But you've been training your whole life for this. Multitasking lectures, TikTok feasts, scanning tweets, and playing video games awful simultaneously. Use it to your advantage. But you may ask, why put in any extra effort? ChatGPT can pass advanced placement tests, entry levels for law and medical school, and even the bar exam. That probably says more about how lame those tests are than about AI's ability. But even though AI can answer almost any prompt you throw at it, it is worthless in an elevator when your boss asks you what you think about new product ideas or sales prospects in Omaha. The only answer comes from that 99% preparation. Study everything, not only the task you've been assigned. Dig deep. Come up with ideas and potential solutions. Work on an elevator pitch for what excites you. Don't wing it. Prepare. And trust me, the feeling you get from preparation-induced success is better than anything you can buy at a dispensary. Preparation will make you feel super great. That brings us to the end of today's articles. I'm Merrick Schneider, and I'll be back soon with more articles. Thank you for listening.